The Crude Life with host Jason Spies. Welcome to the Food Life Week in Review. My name is Jason Spees. Thank you, folks, for joining us this week where we put together some of our best interviews and a little bit of a shortened package for you. Of course, the full-length interviews you could find at thecrudelife.com. Once again, we'd like to thank you, folks, for tuning in to this radio station for the Crude Life Week in Review. We're going to get right to today's program. No more dilly-dallying from me, folks. We're going to get to Aaron Jordan in just a moment. Blackwater Environmental. They've got some big business going on in Wyoming, so we had to make sure we found out what's going on. They've diversified themselves a little bit, so they're doing a little bit of uh, outside oil and gas work right now in order to make sure the ebb and flows of life continue. So Aaron Jordan, Blackwater Environmental. In fact, we get into the concept of hope and the context of hope and how cavalier loosely it's being used in today's world. So um, Aaron Jordan's got some opinions on that, as well as an update from Wyoming's energy scene. Mark Fox, he's the chairman of the MHA Nation. He comes on today's program as well to talk about a little bit of an issue happening in North Dakota with the state government and their mineral rights. This, of course, is another case where the state is taking on the people of North Dakota, challenging their mineral rights. I should say the people are challenging after getting them taken away after having them for hundreds of years. So it's an interesting kerfuffle happening in North Dakota, the continuation of the mineral rights issue and the state of North Dakota. Let's get to our first interview. This is Aaron Jordan with Blackwater Environmental. Aaron Jordan, Blackwater Environmental. Success with the levels. Thank you very much for joining us here today on the program, the Crude Life program. And uh, we wanted to check in with the state of Wyoming because that's one of those areas where it seems like they're still percolating some pretty good business out there. Of course, some companies diversifying themselves a little bit during the uh, downturn of the COVID shutdown. I guess I'm not even sure what to call it, the COVID shutdown, if you will, but... uh, Aaron Jordan, how are you doing today? Very good. How are you doing? Hey, not too bad. Just wanted to check in how your company is doing out there. I know you guys are staying busy. Every time I call, it seems like you guys are adding more business on the books and just, you know, trying to figure out how to turn two bucks into five bucks and stretch one employee into three different employees because it's a it's a tough it's a tough balancing act right now and it's a it's a good problem to have, but at the same time, you know, there are some problems that come along with, you know, trying to balance how to manage business properly today, uh, Aaron. So I appreciate you coming on and talking a little bit about that. But uh, just to get right to the news here, it is true. You you have been staying busy during this uh, corona shutdown, haven't you? Yeah, I mean, we do a lot of maintenance work and things for municipalities and uh, the private sector and uh, energy you know, so those things still have to happen. So whether we've been on sites that have been um, sequestered 
where we've had to work weird hours and do different kinds of um, check-in processes and things like that and you know minimal staff of their side with us um, things like that that's what's really weird is it's not as um, the conversations and things are really different you know it used to be you'd show up on these jobs and you'd BS with half the staff and you know have good conversations and talk to them every day and now then it's like ghost town wherever we're showing up and they have like uh they have covid forms you got to fill out you know check your temperature and have you been feeling sick this week today things like that so it's basically become more of a paper trail and less less interaction with people so i mean it's really strange for us because we have usually have a lot of interaction on a lot of these jobs with you know other contractors and employees and the end user and now that we're not doing anything we're just showing up working and going home and it's it's a little frustrating because you you know you don't you don't get to talk to people and that's kind of hard you know yeah it's certainly changed a, a lot of aspects of business of course we're talking with aaron jordan blackwater environmental uh i was talking to another friend of mine he works in um glycol and boilers and that sort of stuff. So he's got, you know, a toe in the energy industry as well. And he's a lot of the same things, you know, on one hand, it's, it was kind of nice because the roads were less clear, but on the other hand, he gets, he's, he's calling my cell a lot more during the day because there's less people to talk to. And I can tell he's getting bored between jobs and all kinds of different things. So it's uh, as business starts to pick up again, I think that's the one aspect people are going to really gravitate towards is uh just having a little bit of social time once again. So um, talk to me a little bit about some of your services. Of course, you mentioned, you know, you do oil, energy, gas, uh, municipalities. Um, I always think of the sandblasting and that sort of thing. Tell me what kind of services you're doing for the oil and gas and municipalities. Uh, so we're doing sandblasting. We're doing uh, wet sandblasting for lead abatement, things like that. Um, tank cleaning, doing a lot of tank cleaning for municipalities right now. We'll go in and take their uh, water storage tanks or potable water tanks that you see in every town. We go in and drain them, completely clean them, sanitize them, so then they can fill them back up with water, inspect them. We do a lot of tank inspection, um, a lot of uh, – uh, sewer treatment plant work too, you know, clarifiers, things like that. We go and inspect, clean, sandblast, recoat. Um, you know, we have all the EPA certifications for all that. So we stay pretty busy doing a lot of maintenance checks and helping municipalities stay within the regulations. So um, it just, you know, that, that stuff has to be done. And even with this COVID, you know, and with we we run into a deal a week ago with, you know, protesters with the George Floyd situation. And, um, you know, that was a pretty bad deal. And they were, you know, the whole municipality we were at shut down that day. So we weren't able to work. But, you know, that's just one of them things that you got to deal with and understand why people are or doing what they're doing, you know, I think it was a, ended up being a pretty peaceful protest, but they, you know, they shut down the whole, the whole city, basically. It was a small town, but, you know, it was enough where we couldn't, we couldn't do much that day. So, mm -hmm. 
Mr. Aaron Jordan with Blackwater Environmental. I'm going to ask you to hold that thought for just a moment or two. We're going to take a brief pause. My name is Jason Spies. This is the Crude Life Week in Review. The Crude Life is sponsored in part by Historic, the first full conversion refinery to be built in the U.S. in over 40 years. Innovative, the cleanest, most technologically advanced downstream project ever. The model for future shale basin projects. Groundbreaking, the Davis Refinery. Titan Solutions is now in decontamination services. Their proven process kills 99.999% of all common viruses, bacteria, and fungi, including SARS and the viruses that cause the COVID-19. Call Titan Solutions today for your disinfected ULV fogging, wipe-down, electro-spraying, commercial, industrial, medical lodging, decontamination needs. That's Titan Solutions. Give them a call today, 970-539-8066. That's 970-539-8066. Proudly serving the oil and gas industry using organic products, decontamination services, Titan Solutions. That's 970-539-8066. 970-539-8066. Jason Spies, the most trusted voice in the Bakken. I totally agree with you, and the word that you brought into this is fact. You tell the facts, and then you let people make up their own minds. If you want someone who's competent, you don't want to get a bunch of rookies. Love listening to Jason Spies on the radio. And if I miss him there, I catch him online. Let's bring in Jason Spies, who is a multimedia journalist in North Dakota. Um, Jason, what's your thought on this? No one does an interview like Jason Spies. The Crude Life with host Jason Spies. Welcome back to The Crude Life Week in Review. My name is Jason Spies. Thank you, folks, for joining us. Coming up next, we continue the conversation with Aaron Jordan of Blackwater Environmental. Uh, I know... Some of the services that you guys do is inspections. I, I The reason I brought that up and the reason I want to ask is, to me, it would seem like a, it's a good time for people to do inspections. And, you know, just to be give you an idea that I'm not trying to, you know, plug your business. When I have attorneys on, I ask them the same thing. Like, boy, this would seem like a good time for people to do due diligence and research, you know, during the downtime. So... I would yeah. imagine now would be a good time for people to do inspections and figure out what they got to fix and what is standard and that sort of thing. I don't know if they'd, they're they ready to take any action. Maybe that's one of the things that would hold people back from doing an inspection. But uh, how is the inspection side of your business? It's good. I mean, uh, we, we've got some good customers that have followed our direction on some things. Um, when, it, when it started turning down, and especially in um, – we do a lot of saltwater disposal plants, right? So when it started to turn down, they started to shut shut those in a little bit because they weren't taking as much production water and things. Um, we had some of our good customers come to us and say, you know, this is a good time to look at our flat tanks and our, our uh, separating tanks and make sure the coatings are good because if we have a leak in those, that could shut us down when we're busy for a week and a half, two weeks, say. So let's go through and let's clean them and let's look at them and – you know, we, I've actually got a crew down in south of Gillette right now, Wyoming, and they're bouncing from five different saltwater disposal plants doing exactly that. So we're vacuuming them, we're cleaning them, 
and if needed, we're removing the coating that's in them and replacing it. So, because those those are some of the harshest environments for tanks I've ever seen is them saltwater disposals. Because a lot of times they don't know what's coming in on them trucks from frac sites and things until it gets there, and a lot of times it's not what they're expecting. So, um, they deal with it and they treat it the way they have to, and it it's very harsh to steal an environment you know inside a tank so um it, it the the smart companies are spending their money the right way and they're maintaining a level of maintenance to make it make them successful when this thing turns around you know and we hit 40 dollars a barrel the other day and it's back down to 36 this morning so you know a lot of people got got that itch that oh we're going back to work because i heard a lot of companies say at 40 dollars we're gonna start drilling again but it's got to stick you know for weeks for them to do that so you know the conversation in the world was man it hits 40 dollars we're all going back to work and you know that's hopeful thinking at best because it has to stick for at least a week for people for these companies to send rigs back out you know so yeah, uh, the thing that I would caution, just to kind of, I guess, elaborate on that or piggyback on that, and not to steal it or even validate it, but I, I guess my words of caution would be that I've had many, many top-level executives on this program say that one of the biggest weaknesses in oil and gas is the herd mentality is that oil and gas can become very much a herd mentality industry. And sometimes, and I noticed this back in the 2014, 15, 16 type of recession that we had, downturn, if you will, that herd mentality really gravitated towards that word that you mentioned, hope. And hope can be a very tricky, tricky thing because hope can be good, but hope can also be bad. There's false hope as well. And so right now, I think everybody's reality is a little bit different. And so that's one of the reasons why I want to bring people like you on to discuss real life. Uh, we're staying busy, but it ain't easy. Stories. Yeah. And well, because to me, that's the reality. And that's the hope I think people should have is that you got to work hard right now in order to keep afloat. <laughs> Sorry, man. I don't mean to burst your hope bubble, but. Well, we don't, you know. Hope is hope should never be used in an industrial sense ever. You don't hope you're going to be safe. You don't hope you have the right equipment. You don't hope you brought the enough materials. You prepare, you plan, you strategize, and then you show up prepared. You make a plan. Hope is not a tactic. It's not a plan. It's not something to base your business off of. So when these guys are talking about, well, I hope oil comes back. I hope we can do this. I hope, I hope, I hope. They're using it in the wrong sense. You use hope as, hey, hope your folks are doing okay. I hope the weather holds out today so you can go fishing. That's hope. You know, when hope is a four-letter word in our facility and we don't use it because it, you know, we don't hope our equipment works. We know it works because we maintain it and we bring enough equipment. We bring extra equipment. So if this breaks, we got something to fall back on. You know, I'm, I'm tired of the word hope being used as a, as a thing to lean on at work, you know? Well, the thing about hope is it's, it's a transitional word. And also it's, it's a, it's, it's an unbiased word. I mean, hope is just, 
like I said, there's false hope too, because it can it can lead you down to certain paths that you're you, that you're basically just dreaming and things along those lines. Of course, you know, I mean, you get in the political world and it's used all the time. Obama used it very successfully, um, painting a picture that never came true, and so that would have been a pretty good example of you know using it on a mass level. And I I, I think the industry gets like that too a little bit too often. Ever since those uh, executives pointed out the herd mentality behind the industry, I've kind of paid attention to that a little bit. And and we do get like that, especially on social media and a few other things to where there can be a herd mentality. And well, and you know this in Wyoming. In fact, I, I learned this last year. I chuckled because what did they say? You guys have one Democratic legislator, I think, out of the House and the Senate or something like that. And I I chuckled and said to the guy, um, I think it was the governor. And um, I said, boy, you guys must love that. And he looked at me and he goes, no, actually, that means all of our stupid ideas get passed without any pushback. So even, you know, and he was right to say that, meaning that sometimes things don't go like you think. And and you need to take a step back and you need to plan. You need to prepare. And I think what you said before is exactly right. When you go to a job site, you don't hope you brought the right tools. You know you brought the right tools. And that's what you're trying to say is that. There are some things that you can prepare for, and then there's other things that you have hope for, if that makes sense. Yeah, and you don't you don't bring one, you bring three. Because huh. who knows? You know what I mean? You, it costs more for you to be down because you hoped that compressor would run all day, or you you hoped you brought enough sandblasting sand. You know, that could ruin a week's worth of work just because you hoped it would work out. You know, you didn't plan. I've seen companies do it. You know, we were working in eastern South Dakota last week, and there's another contractor that we bid against all the time down the road, sandblasting a water tank. They come over and they didn't have enough. They blew a couple of sandblasting hoses, and they didn't have enough. They said, "Well, it'll take three days for them to get shipped out here. Can we buy one or borrow one?" And we lent them a hose. But it's like, how did you not bring enough? You're from, and they're from way back east. They're from like Connecticut. Well, I think my, my grandpa stayed at the best. He, he's an old rancher, and uh, he uh, he was an oil field consultant for like 35, 40 years. Back when, you know, you just went to work, basically, you know. Right. And consultants did a lot of the work for a lot of company men and rigs and stuff. You know, and being a rancher, he said, he said you guys are in a blizzard. And I said, well, what do you mean? He said, well, it's you got to think of it as calving season. And you're in like a week-long blizzard, and all your heifers are dropping calves at the same time. You're not going to sit at the house and let them calves die. You got to mount up, and you got to get out, and you got to go save the herd. Mm-hmm. You know, he said there's a lot of people just sitting around the fire right now. This is the time to get up and get out, get to it. You know, so and that that's true. There's a lot of people sitting around the fire, just hoping the weather gets better. You know. And it's not. You just got to figure out how to how to get out there and make yourself useful. To listen to the full-length interview with Aaron Jordan with Blackwater Environmental or to check out other exclusive interviews, visit thecrudelife.com. That's thecrudelife.com. Be sure to check out the social media pages, Facebook, YouTube, Twitters. They're all there, except the Instagram. We haven't gotten to that yet. Someday, folks, dare to dream. Our social media 
followers are over 300,000. Go check them out. We've got some different shale play pages at thecrudelife.com. Click on the social media page. LinkedIn, that's the other one. LinkedIn, we're on there too. All right, coming up next, Mark Fox, chairman of the MHA Nation. My name is Jason Spies. This is the Crude Life Week in Review. Be your big stud. You can be Bugs Bunny. I'll be Elmer Fudd. I'll follow you. I think you know the way. If we were The Crude Life is sponsored in part by Historic. The first full conversion refinery to be built in the U.S. in over 40 years. Innovative. The cleanest, most technologically advanced downstream project ever. The model for future shale basin projects. Groundbreaking. The Davis Refinery. Titan Solutions is now in decontamination services. Their proven process kills 99.999% of all common viruses, bacteria, and fungi, including SARS and the viruses that cause the COVID-19. Call Titan Solutions today for your disinfected ULV fogging, wipe down, electro spraying, commercial industrial medical lodging, decontamination needs. That's Titan Solutions. Give them a call today, 970-539-8066. That's 970-539-8066. Proudly serving the oil and gas industry using organic products, decontamination services, Titan Solutions. That's 970-539-8066. 539-8066. Jason Spees, the most trusted voice in the Bakken. I totally agree with you, and the word that you brought into this is fact. You tell the facts, and then you let people make up their own minds. If you want someone who's competent, you don't want to get a bunch of rookies. Love listening to Jason Spees on the radio, and if I miss him there, I catch him online. Let's bring in Jason Spees, who is a multimedia journalist in North Dakota. Um, Jason, what's your thought on this? No one does an interview like Jason Spees. Welcome back to the Crude Life Week in Review. My name is Jason Spees. Thank you folks for joining us. Coming up next, we've got Mark Fox, chairman of the MHA Nation. This is Chairman Mark N. Fox, and I am the chairman of the Mandan Adopts and Rikra Nation, also known as the Three Affiliated Tribes. Appreciate you coming on the program here today. I wanted to find out a little bit what's going on with the mineral issue in regards with the state of North Dakota and your tribe. I got uh, I read a news article on it, and... Of course, this has been, um, we've been following the one under Lake Sakakawea, and then there's a couple of other ones. But uh, before we get into the thematic of the state going after uh, uh, challenging mineral rights, uh, just explain kind of from your perspective what's going on there, why it even hit the news, why this became an issue, if you wouldn't mind. Well, it's an issue now for us. because uh, it, as far as I'm concerned, it was more politically and economically motivated and certainly uh, broke legal precedent. But the real reason why we're sitting here talking about it right now is that uh, there's oil beneath that riverbed and there's been drilling and production and now royalties placed into escrow that is quite significant. 
And if there wasn't, I really don't think the state would care. Well, I think you're probably right on that. But what? How did the mineral rights become into question? It's it's um, that part is perplexing to me. I guess. Well, it's, it goes back that that river, the riverbed, the land, everything preceded uh, ownership way before North Dakota became a state, way before the United States became a government. And so by, you know, later on, subsequently, treaties and actions taken by, executive action taken by the United States government, it was determined uh, that, you know, like I said, treaties all the way up to executive actions that this riverbed belongs to the tribes. And most importantly, these are called M opinions, and the oldest and the most precedented M opinion came in 1936. So we're looking at approaching, you know, 85 years, you know, do my math right here, I guess, but, uh, uh, you know, um, or, or more here. Um, no, let's see. Let me do my math here. Was that 36, 64? Yeah. 80, 85 years almost. And, and, um, that opinion said, you know, in regards to uh, who owned a, an island out in the river bed area, and the opinion of the United States government government to its interior um, 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 department said in the same thing, an M opinion, and the inspector uh, of the uh, interior said it belongs to the three affiliated tribes, us. And it's been in standing since that time, the 1930s. 1972 and some other actions were taken of subsequent laws were passed, and they always referenced the ownership, the ownership belonging to the three affiliated tribes. We had no doubt in our mind it preceded that, and then it, it, it uh, was maintained by us all until this time. Well, when I became chairman, I, you know, because of what was going on with the riverbed, not not the surrounding area, the taken area, mind you. There's a distinct difference between the riverbed and what we call the taking area, taken by the Corps of Engineers for the, the Garrison Dam, the Pixelone program, and flooding of our lands. Now, that land where the water moved out and covered land previously owned by tribe, previously owned by tribal members, previously owned by even some a few non-tribal members was taken by the federal government for the dam. That's different. The riverbed is what has flowed through for thousands and thousands of years where we lived along that river. We, our economies, our culture, everything, our dependency, our Aboriginal trade center, everything was focused on the river, even to the point where anthropologists, you study anthropology, anthropologists refer to our tribes, our three tribes, as riverine tribes, meaning all our, our belongings and everything we do is uh, alongside the river. And everybody knew that. Uh, the first uh, war declared against, you know, uh, a tribe west of Mississippi was against the Rickera in 1825. You probably saw the movie Revenant, right? And if you saw that movie Revenant, that's what they're referencing. They're trying Hollywood's version, though, of trying to uh, uh, talk about a historical event. The historical event was the Rickera War of 1823, where fur traders of America, United States were trying to come up the river and bypass our Aboriginal trade system, were threatening our economy and along the river, uh, and, and where other tribes were coming to trade, and 
and it resulted in that war. And then a treaty in 1825 in which it said, all this land is yours, including both sides of the river and the river itself. And so this was established, our usage and ownership from that point forward. And so we get up to now, well, let's go back, uh, what they refer to as the Obama opinion. So we weren't relying on that. We already have precedent set 1936 opinion, other laws citing to our ownership. We simply told BIA, do your job, Department of Interior, do your job, record the tracks, record the deeds, get everything done like it typically does everywhere else along the river and along the taken area. Get those things done so we can continue with our production, continue with our development of oil and gas, our energy program at Fort Berthold. And uh, when we attempted to do, when we're asking for that, under the previous administration, around about uh, 2015, I got on in, in, in November 2014. In 2015, when we asked for them to just do their job, we were told that they were going to do a secondary M opinion. And we said, why? What's the purpose? They said, well, it'll just strengthen your case. It will make it stronger and, uh, you know, and there'll be no doubt in anybody's mind about this M opinion uh, from the 36th one. We didn't like it. We said it wasn't necessary. We already have the law in place. Well, and it was only supposed to take a few months. But what ended up happening a few months turned into a few years. Then you had an election in 2016, November 2016, with President Trump. Although the opinion was set to be released, they didn't, untimely and a bad choice, they didn't release it uh, prior to the election. What they did do is in January, it was all completed and done. Uh, the the uh, Secretary of Interior went ahead and agreed and signed off, and they had a second opinion that came out. It's now what they refer to as the Obama opinion, M opinion. That came out in January 2017, prior to the new president being sworn in. So now you have a 36, subsequent laws, subsequent actions taken, determinations made about ownership, and then now in 2017, tribe owns it. And so what ends up happening, uh, it, it took a little bit longer than I thought it would, but then you came up with a, a, an action taken. I believe if I get my dates right... I might be wrong here. I'm trying to get my dates right, but I think it was June of 2018. In June of 2018, maybe it was 17, I'm sure, but we get a call from the Secretary of Interior's office, the Assistant Secretary, uh, Acting Assistant Secretary of Indian Affairs, John Tasuda. John Tasuda says, well, uh, you know, Chairman and, and Legal Counsel, John Fredericks is on the phone with me. He says... We, uh, we, we have to give you news that we're going to, even though uh, technically they had already signed off, they were giving us notice that they were going to stay the 2017 opinion and, 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 and with te- suspend it, uh, temporarily withdraw is the term, suspend it, its application and temporarily withdraw it. We asked, why are you doing this? And they said, we want to go ahead and conduct our own research and strengthen it. you got to remember, Department of Interior, the United States government is the trustee over these lands. These lands are titled United States of America, held in trust for the benefit of tribes, period. That's what, what trust land is. And so here's the Secretary of Interior, Assistant Secretary, saying, we're your trustee, we're going to make this stronger, we're going to research this, 
and, and strengthen your case, and there'll be no doubt about ownership. We said there should, there's no reason for that. And if you want to do research on it for your own, own purposes to answer senators and congressmen, that's fine. You do that on your own, but you need to let that opinion stand, and they need to let the, the staff do their work and complete what needs to be done. In the meantime, drilling had occurred, most of it illegally because we didn't approve of it. Mr. Mark Fox, chairman of the MHA Nation, I'm going to ask you to hold that thought for just a moment or two. We're going to take a brief pause. When we come back, we'll continue the conversation. My name is Jason Spies. This is the Crude Life Week in Review. The Food Life is sponsored in part by Historic, the first full conversion refinery to be built in the U.S. in over 40 years. Innovative, the cleanest, most technologically advanced downstream project ever. The model for future shale basin projects. Groundbreaking. The Davis Refinery. Titan Solutions is now in decontamination services. Their proven process kills 99.999% of all common viruses, bacteria, and fungi, including SARS and the viruses that cause the COVID-19. Call Titan Solutions today for your disinfected ULV fogging, wipe-down, electro-spraying, commercial, industrial, medical lodging, decontamination needs. That's Titan Solutions. Give them a call today, 970-539-8066. That's 970-539-8066. Proudly serving the oil and gas industry using organic products, decontamination services, Titan Solutions. That's 970-539-8066. 970-539-8066. Welcome back to the Crude Life Week in Review. My name is Jason Spies. Thank you, folks, for joining us. Coming up next, we continue the conversation with Mark Fox, the chairman of the MHA Nation. In the meantime, drilling had occurred, most of it illegally because we didn't approve of it. And and production is ongoing for for four or five years, and now you have a significant seven-figure, you know, uh, amounts in the uh, eight-figure amounts inside uh, of, of royalties collected. And so basically hundreds of millions of dollars. And so we objected to it and said that there's no reason for it. But we also knew that they obviously had a political plan to undo our ownership. And so uh, you see what happened just this past 30 days is the end result of that. They went out and they began to do their research, quote unquote, and, and then ended up bringing back one of their staff attorneys that said, Ended in an opinion that said uh, that the riverbed belongs to the state in an enabling act when, when it became a, a state, it, that the state gained ownership. Contrary to our precedent set before, contrary to our treaties, contrary to other decisions with other tribes, Coeur for example, same circumstances where our, our circumstances are even stronger to say we own it. And, uh, and the United States Supreme Court said, 
they own that riverbed. And so, uh, the, the meaning the tribe owns the riverbed at Coeur d'Alene. And so, in our situation, they come in and basically uh, reverse not only the 17 opinion, but they're claiming to reverse the 1936 opinion, and, uh, the M opinion, and saying the state owns it, not the tribe. And that's where we're sitting right now. And, and what we ask them to do as our so-called trustee is we hired our own historians, our own legal researchers, and to, to, to go back and gather up and, and, and evidence our case even further. And we asked them to wait until that was completed. They did not. They went ahead with their own staff review uh, and, and so-called research and then pushed out this opinion. And ironically, this opinion came out a short time, just a matter of a week or two, a couple of weeks, uh, even less than uh, a sit-down meeting between Senator Hoven, Governor Burgum, and the President of the United States. And so, you know, obviously, great suspicion that it was an executive pushdown saying, get that thing resolved, get it done, get that opinion out, the state owns that. And that's where we stand today. I was going to ask you where Governor Burgum, Congressman Kramer, or Senator Kramer, Senator Hoven, if you've heard from them at all, have, have you heard specifically from any of them? No. The only one that called us was after they already did the opinion, after they already told the state the following day uh, about, uh, I think it's now two weeks on Thursday, and I, I get a call from Secretary of Interior himself, and uh, we do know each other, and so he called my office directly, and, and our conversation was less than two minutes, three minutes at the most, and he basically said, uh, this opinion is coming out, and... Uh, you know, uh, we are certainly going to understand how you're going to feel. And, uh, you know, we're, we're always in support of you and whatever, you know, uh, maybe there's some things we can talk about and work on. But uh, just to let you know that that opinion is done. And I had already heard that it was contrary, but I put it out there anyway. I said, and I assume that this opinion is contrary to our ownership. And he said, yes, it is. But uh, we're willing to talk to you uh, maybe down the line here in the future and, 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 and see what we can do. And, and that was it, hung up the phone. And so we've been in that mode ever since. But I expected that to be done. Uh, I, I've been involved with tribal leadership for a long time. I've been involved with government. I've been involved with uh, federal Indian law. I've been involved with a lot of things and, and, and growing quite knowledgeable about, about how the United States government acts and how state government acts. And so the bottom line is I expected them to, to have an unfavorable uh, opinion about our case. Our lawyers didn't, but I did. And so I thought it was going to be political, and it is political. So basically, I think there was pressure that said, uh, reverse this, change it back to state ownership, and uh, because I think in the back of the minds of some con congressional representatives and the state government, our, our, our governor, and I say our, even though he's acting contrary to our ownership, and, and, and our senators, who are supposed to be our trustees, acting contrary to our ownership, so so much for trustee, uh, you know, despite all that, you know, I knew that they were probably were apprehension about uh, this administration losing the election and, and, and not being able to reverse it like they want to do. And that's kind of where we're at right now. So uh, having expected it, we're not done fighting. It's far from over. 
I just want to make sure I understand this correctly. So this is what we're talking about is the mineral rights underneath the Missouri River. So the riverbed, which is located on the MHA Nation that has been legally yours up until 2017? No, up until 2020, just a month or uh, two weeks ago. Just oh, I'm sorry. The 2017 opinion that came out said, yeah, tribe owns that. We're reiterating what the 1936 opinion says. Wait, wait, okay. uh, and, 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 yeah. I, where, where, did the, where, where does this come from, I guess? How does all... Like, well, I've been talking with Josh Swanson from Vogel Law quite a bit. He's been dealing with the Wilkinson versus uh, State of North Dakota Land Trust with the Lake Sakakawea flooding the land. Yeah. And they got Army Corps of Engineer, you know, reports that say that the people own it and the state's going after that money, too. And it's been yeah. sitting in escrow and people have died and never even gotten that money and that sort of thing. And it's exactly. it's. I, I just it's it's so thematic that the state continues to go after the people's mineral rights when they've been. The, I I guess I I'm just I don't understand it. I guess. It, it, you know I can explain it in one word. One word. It's greed. You know because the state sees a significant amount of money for the state coffers and they go after it, and and that's exactly what they did here. As I said. That, that opinion has been in since 1936. Why didn't the United uh, the state of North Dakota in nearly in 80 plus years ever come in and either legally challenge, file a lawsuit, uh, or, or raise the issue with Interior? Why are you waiting now when there's hundreds of millions in escrow being deposited, questioning ownership, and then saying, oh, we own that? And not only that, for the last, basically, Governor Burgum has been in for nearly four years, three and a half years, for over three years now. Every time we tried to negotiate the tax agreement, this was brought up. He said, well, you know, we want to talk negotiation. We want to, we, basically, they want to split the ownership, split the, the royalties. We said, now, why would we do that? We own it. You know, we're only here to talk about taxation. That we have to split because of very bad case law coming out of New Mexico Supreme Court and so we have to split the tax some way somehow or have dual taxation. Dual taxation is going to hurt development. We all want development. So we said we're only here to discuss tax but they kept throwing it on the table and we kept saying no, it's not for discussion. Our elders, our people fought and died for that and they're not going to relinquish that. And another important item along the lines that you're talking about in your case you know, in comes the state and the core, and then if the core says we don't need that anymore for labs, they give it back, which is what they did in 1984 for the three affiliated tribes. That was Mark Fox, chairman of the MHA Nation. That's going to do it for today's program. I'd like to thank Mr. Mark Fox and Aaron Jordan with Blackwater Environmental for coming on today's program. Those interviews can be heard in their entirety at thecrudelife.com. Also, other exclusive interviews as well at thecrudelife.com. We'll be back next week at this time on this radio station. Thank you folks very much for tuning in and supporting your local radio station. From the staff here at The Crude Life Week in Review, my name is Jason Spies asking you to always remember energy is more than an industry, it's a way of life. Oh, yeah.
The Crude Life is sponsored in part by Historic, the first full conversion refinery to be built in the U.S. in over 40 years. Innovative, the cleanest, most technologically advanced downstream project ever. The model for future shale basin projects. Groundbreaking. The Davis Refinery. Titan Solutions is now in decontamination services. Their proven process kills 99.999% of all common viruses, bacteria, and fungi, including SARS and the viruses that cause the COVID-19. Call Titan Solutions today for your disinfected, ULV fogging, wipe-down, electro-spraying, commercial, industrial, medical lodging, decontamination needs. That's Titan Solutions. Give them a call today, 970-539-8066. That's 970-539-8066. Proudly serving the oil and gas industry using organic products, decontamination services, Titan Solutions. That's 970-539-8066. 970-539-8066.